The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And then she called me back and she was like, you know, Judd is really insistent that they want to make this character a series regular if the show gets picked up. I think you should just do it. I think it's brilliant. Had you read the script? Yeah. You have. I did not understand it at all. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I totally, Brian, totally. I was like, don't get it. I don't get what the tone of this is. I was so confused by it. Hi, my name is Busy Phillips, and I'm a human person in this world. I don't know what I am. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome, friends, to another episode of Off the Beat. It's me, as always, your host, Brian Baumgartner. And as you just heard in that sneak peek, I have my conversation today with a woman who makes me laugh, Busy Phillips, a woman who has been, well, busy, get it, winning hearts on screen since, well, since she first appeared as Kim on cult favorite Freaks and Geeks, a show whose legacy, it only lasted one season, but some could say it is the precursor. It is the the grandparent to The Office. Uh, since then, she's been on everything. Dawson's Creek, Cougar Town, White Chicks. And last year, she became an esteemed member of the incredible Girls 5 Eva. She also had a late night television show 
Busy Tonight that we talk about and her podcast. I was just on Busy Phillips is doing her best. She is one of my favorites. We're going to deep dive into the brain today of Busy Phillips. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. What's up, Busy? Hi, Brian. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It was my kid's first day of school today. Oh, today. I know. New York is weird. Wow. Okay. I know. Like a, a random Wednesday. Is the well, f- yesterday was like an open house kind of day for the kids. Got it. So maybe it was sort of technically yesterday, but not really. Like they just not went and like really. saw their classrooms and then today was like the real start. Well, that's nice. I guess. Did you get emotional? No. I have, huh? my kids are old. Oh, okay. What are they doing tours of the room then? My older one doesn't do like my older one is in middle school, but my little one is in fourth grade and they still do it in fourth grade so that they can like see their classroom, know where they're going on the first day. Like New York is just so different than Los Angeles. It's crazy. Right. And obviously, obviously, (laughs) but like, I I didn't realize that both kids like get themselves, like they get themselves to school. Oh, they walk or they, well, my older kid walks and then the little one takes a bus. Wow. I know. Crazy. Big kids. Big kids. They're big kids. I know. Big kids. I know. It's nuts. It's nuts. Um, well, we call this in the business tit for tat. I uh came on your podcast. Yep. Which was a delight. Thank you for doing that. I, no, I heard I was the best, the best <laughs> ever. That's what people are saying. Yeah. Uh the best guest ever on Busy mm-hmm. Phillips. Mm-hmm. is doing her best. Uh, and now I am so excited to talk to you, but I, I want to start back uh, earlier than that. When did you when did you start becoming involved in the arts or thinking you might want to perform or be an actor? Well, I mean, I think like many of us, it was a a thing that I always had okay. since I was a very, very small person. You know, I've been a parent now for a long time, but, you know, it really is a parent, a parent, a parent as a parent. Uh, It's a parent to a parent. It's a parent as a parent. Um, But yeah, some kids just gravitate toward being the center of attention, wanting to perform, wanting to dress up, wanting to do shows and things. And I was very much that kid. I also had a pretty intense lisp when I was little. Like, like little, little kid. And by the time I was in second and third grade, it was still hanging on. And that's when like speech therapists get involved. And I think my mom felt like it was a really good opportunity to sort of combine a thing that she saw that I had an interest in with you know, making sure that I could say my S's and my T-H's and my R's correctly. So, you know, so, so I got sort of, you know, she put me in some, you know, little kid theater programs and 
extracurricular stuff. I was never a kid that was very sporty. Okay. Shocks me about you. Well, as I've gotten older, I've become way more athletic, but I was like, not, I didn't want to move. I was like very happy to be in a cold theater. I also grew up in Arizona, Brian. You don't want to play softball in 110 degree heat. (laughs) No, you don't. And they do. (laughs) I know. I know. I know the golf. They're like, yeah, let's go out. We'll tee, we'll tee it off at 630 and it's already 102. No, I mean, I like, I played softball for two years in elementary school and it was so hot. And I, like all the pictures of me are just like in the outfield laying down, like trying to not pass out from heat exhaustion. So I was very happy to be in a cold air conditioned black box theater. And I was really lucky because we found through my best friend, Emily BB this very cool children's theater, small children's theater school or whatever in, in Scottsdale called Actors Lab of Arizona. And they had their like kid and teen program. And the woman that ran it was really cool. Like she just didn't do the usual kid plays, you know, like she had us write monologues about our feelings and stuff. Like she really was like into it. And I just knew that I wanted to do it. I like was very adamant from, I mean, I want to say like fourth or fifth grade that I was going to move to LA and be an actor and be in movies and be on TV shows. Fourth or fifth grade, you were already there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I mean, it's interesting that your mom had that insight, that idea of like, oh, okay, so this is an issue you're having. Well, let's dive into the pool. Like, let's do this and yeah. and challenge you in that way knowing that you may have feelings about performing or whatever, but that's very cool. Yeah. I mean, my mom also was a performer. My mom wanted to be an actress when she was young and was the star of all the school plays. My older sister is four years older than me, and she also did like school plays and theater. And when she was in college was, you know, in a bunch of shows in college. Um, So it was like, it's definitely like a thing in our, in us, in our family, you know? And just to be clear though, for your listeners who don't know me, maybe I'm not related to anyone famous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not either. But like sometimes, a lot of times people think that I'm part of like the famous Phillipses from the mamas and the papas, like those Phillips, that Phillips family. I'm not, my mom's a realtor. She ended up not being an actor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My dad's an engineer, but you know what I mean? Like, right. We were just yeah. people who like to perform. Right. Yeah. So she was she was always very encouraging. And I think she felt like her parents kind of put the kibosh on her dreams of becoming an actor. And so she did not want to do that to me or my sister. And she was always super encouraging and supportive and both my parents, but like really my mother was like, you know, my friend Jenny jokes that my mom was like the ultimate stage mom. And I would say like that is true in some respects. But honestly, like when my sister decided to stop doing it, it wasn't a thing. Like it was just like, okay, right, that you're doing something else now. She really just wanted to support us in whatever was making us happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never 
talked about it or even thought about this before, but there is going to be a call to my mom later. I think my mom might be the same as your mom. I mean, she was a singer Mm -hmm. and I think it may have been her parents that discouraged her as well, because I've never talked about this. My grandparents who were still alive at the time that I moved to Los Angeles told my mom that I shouldn't move to Los Angeles because everyone does drugs out there. Sure. Well, well, to be fair, Brian, how much, how many parties have we been at where we're just doing the drugs? Well, you and me, <laughs> you, you and me just in the corner. Um, I, how'd you get the name busy? You have different answers. I want the real answer here. The real answer is that it was, it was just like a very natural nickname from Elizabeth because I was a very busy little baby and my sister is like four years older than me. I have a babysitter. I had a babysitter in Chicago where I was born and lived the first five years of my life who was always calling me Busy Beth. So then it just became, and it was like immediate. It was by the time I was a year old in my baby books everywhere, it just calls me busy. At first it's like, well, Busy Beth is learning how to crawl, like Busy Beth. And then by the time, or Busy, yeah, Busy Beth, not Busy Lizzie, Busy Liz. Busy Beth. And then by the time I'm a year old, it's just busy. And then it was busy ever since. So, yeah. There you go. You heard it here. That's That's the the real story. That's the truth. So you were doing theater very, very early on. What what led you to LMU? Loyola Marymount. Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, California. Well, a couple of things. Number one, you know, all teenagers think they know everything, which is the best and worst part of being and having a teenager, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) But I knew, but what I knew about being a professional actor was that if you wanted to do TV and film, you went to LA. And if you wanted to do theater or musical theater, you went to New York. Yes. LA was also very close to where I grew up and went to high school. Scottsdale. Scottsdale. Yeah. Yeah. So I auditioned and got into Cal arts to their conservatory theater program. Yes. But I had a few friends from high school uh, who had graduated a couple years earlier than me who were in the undergrad film department at Loyola Marymount University. And at the time, I graduated from high school in 97. At the time, LMU was like quite small. It's not now it's like this huge school. It's so crazy to me. And my mom because my family is like historically speaking catholic my mother like loves the jesuits for the education so i was apl- i was auditioning for cal arts which is where i thought i was going to go i had applied to asu as like a backup and my mom was like you really should just look at lmu you already have friends there it's in la it's not cal arts is like in valencia you're not going to this isn't what you want my right. mom's not wrong by the way <laughs> <laughs> so I went for my audition. I flew out by myself. My friend, Eric, he picked me up. He drove me to my audition. And then we went back to LMU and I turned in my application there and like looked around the campus and spent the day there. And I met Gloria Calderon Kellett that day. I met just a bunch of people. And I I don't know if I met Linda Cardellini that day, but I but I met her as soon as I got there because she was already a legend at that school. She was already a legend? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, she was like working 
like professionally working before freaks, before even freaks and geeks. And so Linda's four years older than me, um, but she had taken a gap year to work, but she was still like living with her college roommates off, like right off campus. And everybody was involved in the theater department. And so before I even met Linda, I knew who Linda was because it was like, oh, well, Linda Cardellini is working. She was on Boy Meets World. So she was, she was like sort of a legend already by the time I got there. And then really she's why I, you know, she's why I did Freaks and Geeks, which is like a whole other crazy, I'll tell you that in two okay. seconds. Okay. So, but, but I just spent the day there at LMU and then flew back. And I was like, I really liked it. I really liked it. And part of the deal with CalArts was that you sign up to be in this conservatory acting program and you're not supposed to audition or work for the four years that you're in that program. Right. And I just felt like I'd been waiting since fourth grade to be an <laughs> actor. To be on. I was like, I can't do that. Like, I need to be able to do it if I'm going right. to do it. Right. And I'm so grateful that I like thought that way. And, and I'm, you know, and my mom, I think was happy that I was getting that Jesuit education. <laughs> I don't know for two years anyway, <laughs> but yeah. So then I got, you know, so then I was, I was at LMU and then I was very focused on getting representation, figuring out how to do that. So you were going to school, but you were also in the business too. Like, yeah, you were trying to find an agent and you were trying to work even as you started school. Yeah. There were a few of us in the theater department that were kind of like savvy in that way, Okay, you know? And I felt like it was already too late. I, I felt like I had already, like <laughs> at 18, I was like, I've already missed the boat. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm already, it's already too, I've already missed it. But you know, Colin Hanks. Yeah. I was going to ask. Were you yeah. friends with him as well, or you guys? He were was my working? boyfriend. He was your boyfriend. Yeah, you didn't know that for years. No. Yeah, we met really? my first semester freshman year. I don't year. read Us Weekly. I don't. Well, it's not know these listen, things. but Brian, it also like so predates like celebrity gossip. Yeah, okay. it does kind of because also we weren't famous. We were just like two random LMU students who like got on teen shows at the same right. time. Okay. No one cared. Right. Okay, it, there's nothing. Okay. And we're really know. good friends now as adults, which is the greatest twist of life right. and fate. So that's fantastic. But yeah, we met freshman year, like my first semester and started going out. We were really like, we did noises off together. Classic. He was the director. I was Vicky. <laughs> and I had done some like, like had tried to get an agent in Arizona, which was you know, anytime you're like in one of those smaller towns and markets, it's not that there's not stuff to be done or work to be done. It's just, it's a little, it's not comparable to what you do. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> For, and it, most you know. of the interest, most of the interesting stuff they end up casting out of LA or New York anyway. Right. So you have an agent that you can't get you access to anything. That's, that's, I mean, typically, not typically. always, not always, typically. that's true. Not always. Yes. But I had done this like industrial type job for Mattel toy company sure. playing a live Barbie doll. Oh my God. I want the footage. I, I, know, I, want I the wish f- I, do you have it, that? No, because it was like, it's the toy fair and you weren't allowed to film anything. And also it's before cameras and phones and right, camera okay. phones, but I actually wasn't Barbie. I was, they made a doll from the TV show and movie clueless. They made a okay. Cher Horowitz doll. 
Oh, you were Cher Horowitz? Yes. And so then they dressed me up like that. And then they would bring in the toy buyers and I would do a whole 15 pages of like sales projections and stuff, but in character as Cher Horowitz. <laughs> and I killed. I was like, you killed I was, it. I really killed it. <laughs> and I went to New York twice to do the toy fair for Mattel. And um, there were tons of Broadway actors because it was like nine to four. The job right. was like nine to four and you got paid. I mean, I worked at California Pizza Kitchen and those two weeks of being a Barbie for Mattel, I think I made $4,000. Like wow. as an, a 17 year old, yeah. I was like, that's nothing to sneeze at. You know, like, no. it was a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. But because of that, I had become sort of friends with this actress named Lisa Guerrero and then ended up being like a sports, like a football commentator. Yeah. Okay. I feel I, like you I, would I know, know who she is. I know who that is. Yes. I was and I think sure she's that like it wasn't the same person. Inside Edition now or something. Okay, I don't know. I, again, I told you, I don't read Us Weekly. All right. Brian, I literally don't think any of these things would be in Us Weekly. <laughs> I think that... I don't know. I don't I think don't there know. is a publication that would cover <laughs> this. <laughs> this is just for your podcast. Okay, anyway, all right. she was very sweet and she took me out to lunch. And she was like, well, you'll need representation. She was the one that like told me what the steps were. And then she very sweetly introduced me to her manager at the time. And this woman was like, sure, well, let's see, let's try. And from there, you know, I auditioned for an agency. And thankfully, I had that CalArts audition in my back right. pocket, just went in and <laughs> did my CalArts audition. <laughs> anyway, and they ended up signing me. And it's like, at every point when I was, you know, I was... 18 and then 19 when I got Freaks and Geeks. But at every point, it was very much like I could tell the people around me were like, well, let's see. Let's, okay, sure, let's just see. Okay. And the whole time I was like, oh, you'll see. <laughs> oh, you're going to see. <laughs> Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Claim 
Washington comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How did you meet the folks on Freaks and Geeks? Was that through your agency? Did they do their job? Oh, my God. Well, what I'm failing to bring up to you is that the pilot season of 98, 99 was like the year after Dawson's Creek was the hugest hit of all time. Yeah. And literally every network had 47 teen shows that they were trying to make. So the timing for someone my age who could play 16 couldn't have been better. I had 90, something like 95 auditions and callbacks in the span of 
three months. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And also, Brian, this is before email. And I had to drive from LMU on the 405 to Sunset Plaza to pick up my scripts and sides from my agent's office. They would leave them downstairs in a giant box for all of their actors. And you would go and you would flip through and find your name and find your package. It was like I was nonstop living in my car. I lived in my car. And so I had auditioned for Allison Jones and had gotten pretty far, but hadn't tested, but had gotten like done a good job for Roswell, which was the show that Colin ended up getting. And she brought me in for Freaks and Geeks. And I read right for the producers for that. And so I went in and it was like Jake, Paul, Judd, and Allison, obviously. And I read the Lindsay audition sides. Kim Kelly wasn't a character yet. Then right before I was about to leave, Paul was like, hey, busy, uh, you know, we have this other part. Would you mind taking a look at this and just coming back in and reading it for us? Uh, it, it might be interesting. You know when they do that to you in an audition, I'm sure. Yes. And you're like a little bummed because you read for the lead and they're like, here's this other part that we don't even know what it is, but <laughs> why don't you look at that? And you're like, Ugh, <laughs> fuck, another thing I'm not getting. And all I could think of, because the audition was in the Palisades, was that I was going to have to drive back on the 405 to <laughs> LMU. And I was, and it was getting like later and later. And at a certain point, I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm ready. I just want to go. Like, I need to go. I got to get out of right. here. And so, and so it's like essentially, a, it was essentially a very cold read. And that was it. That was it. Amazing. Did they make you wait? Well, you know, normally like when it's a series regular, y- you test at the network, right? But they, Kim Kelly was just a guest star for the pilot. They didn't, they okay. hadn't made it a series regular part. And my agents were like, we don't want you to do this because you're getting so much attention, like, and so much, you're getting so close on things that we want you to wait for a series regular role. We think you could like land some really good series regular role. And you don't want to take yourself out of the rest of pilot season because you're working on a show. Right. But then I went to pick up, I think, Colin at the airport. And Linda was also there picking up her roommate, actually. And she had just gotten the part. And she knew that they had they wanted me for Kim Kelly. And she was like, dude, can you believe it? I'm, I got freaks and geeks. I'm going to do it. You got to be Kim Kelly. And I was like, I know. I was just talking. I just, I, it's so exciting. Like, I just, my agents are feeling like, I don't know. And she's like, no, 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 do this show. You got to do this with me. It'll be so much fun. We'll have so much fun. And I honestly, in that moment, I was like, yeah, of course I'm fucking doing it. Like, why would I not do? I already know this girl who's rad and like, I want to be best friends with anyway. Why would I not do this? And so I called my manager, Lorraine, and I was like, I really want to do this. And she's like, I'm going to call Judd. I'm going to find out what the deal is. And then she called me back and she was like, you know, Judd is really insistent that they want to make this character a series regular if the show gets picked up. I think you should just do it. I think it's brilliant. And so because of like Lorraine, my manager at the time, and Linda Cardellini, I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. Who knows what anything is, you know? Right. So you, They're like had, Judd Apatow had, from Sick in the Head. Sure. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Like, <laughs> right. I'm 19. No, of right, of course. Had you read the script? 
Yeah. You have. I did not understand it at all. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I totally, Brian, totally. I was like, don't get it. I don't get what the tone of this is. I was so confused by it. And then I remember they cut together. We had a pretty long shoot for the pilot. I mean, it's a period piece and it's involved. And those were the, those were the olden days of Hollywood where they really spent a ton of money and like they were shooting on film, you know? Right. And after we wrapped the pilot that evening in the cafeteria of the school we were shooting at, they rolled out like a little AV cart and they had cut together. The editors had just put together like a tiny little mishmash of the show for uh, all of us to see what we'd been working on, which honestly, also in retrospect, is so special because so frequently... That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, if your show doesn't get picked up, the crew literally never sees the show. Right. I mean, I don't know about you. I've done pilots that I still haven't seen. Right. Right. I've, you know, I've done shows that I've never seen, but that's a different issue. That I, is a different issue, I would say. But anyway, it was so special. And I remember watching this thing that they put together and they had the Come Sail Away song, you know, like crescendoing. And I got full chills and I was like, this is what we've been doing. Oh, <laughs> my God. This is real. Like, right. My, my, I'm going to start crying, but like my little brain was blown. Like, this is what I've wanted to do since I was a baby. And there I am. And I don't even look like me and I don't sound like me. And it's real. Yeah. That was that. Wow. Were you aware at that moment that the show was special or doing something new? Or did your little brain not comprehend that at the, at the time? I mean, that whole experience is so has had so many different incarnations of what it was and what it is and what it continues to be. So Mm -hmm. it's funny, you know, like we had such an amazing time while we were doing it and the freedom that Judd and Paul and Leslie Gladder, like all of our directors, they gave us such a gift that we were all way too inexperienced and young to understand at the, Mm -hmm. in the moment, I think but we all enjoyed it very much. I mean, I don't remember, aside from like my personality conflict with Franco, like I don't remember ever having like a complaint about anything having to do with it. Late nights were super fun. Early mornings were super fun. We would hang out. We would go to swingers and get food at midnight after we wrapped. Like together, we would go to Birds on Franklin. Sure. Where Siegel convinced me that the Scientology building had a Tower of Terror ride inside of it. (laughs) And I believed him for like 10 minutes. (laughs) I really thought it was true. And Seth was like, come on. It's not true. And I was like... I don't know. It looks like it has one of those rides in it, you know, like a drop. I was like, what? We don't know. Uh, anyway. Um, wow. So it was really fun, you know, and I think and when the show was over and it became clear, like that it was going to be over, over. I wasn't ready for it to be and I wanted it to continue. I was really, really sad and really disheartened. And, and, and I did feel in that moment already, like, but we made something so good. Why is this, why is this fair? I mean, 
And again, that's the best lesson you can learn as an actor. <laughs> it's like, right. it actually doesn't matter, babe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Paul said it was ahead of its time a little bit. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the cringe comedy, I mean, you know, Judd's now made a career out of very similar toned things. It launched so many careers and and really pioneered a, a new way of doing television that is uh you know i think a lot of shows including the office owe a great debt of gratitude to um yeah i remember feeling that it was ahead of its time like i said like i read it and didn't understand it Right. <laughs> you know, right. I didn't understand tonally what it was supposed to be. It wasn't until I actually saw it that I was like, oh, shit, this right. is awesome. And I think it's really a testament to how the people in charge treated us with so much respect. And we were kids and maybe at moments didn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> They really treated us like experts in our field and real collaborators in making this thing. And it changes everything when you get to work with people who respect you. Yeah. I've been on both sides of that like line of where I've worked for people who just definitely don't respect me. And right. I'm there to like service what they want to be done or how they want it said. And I have, no joke, heard actors like that I was working with being referenced as talking props. Yeah. Whew, that's a bummer. Yeah. You know, that's that like really takes the fun out of it. But like for me to go from doing really fun, creative theater programs and then getting to be a part of a show, a network television show where these adults in charge. And by the way, that is the funniest thing to me, which is that <laughs> I thought that Judd and Leslie were literally 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie is like three years older than me. Like, right. we are like, we're say. like essentially the same age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but she was like, they were like, married they had a baby they right. were like old people and right. and then like cut to five years later we're like hanging out with each other in hawaii and i'm like wait what's happening are we the <laughs> oh my god you were like my dad and mom and now I know, we're but the, isn't that so weird like when you're a kid when you're a teenager people who are 25 seem like grown-ups oh, yeah. and then when you're oh. 28 you're like hanging out with 50 year olds and you're like we're all the same age it's fine <laughs> right. anyway I just it was just but the fact that they trusted us and took us seriously and took our ideas seriously and never made us feel less than for being actors or teenagers it's like That's a, awesome an incredible gift and a thing that honestly shaped the way that we all have turned out. Like, I think for most of us, that was our first experience professionally. Like even in the case of like Linda, Jason and Franco, who had worked a little bit before that, this was like their biggest thing that right. they had done. You know what I mean? And I think just having that environment really shifted the way that we approached the rest of our 
careers and what we wanted for ourselves and like what we were, how we were going to do it. That's awesome. That's so great to hear and makes so much sense that having that nurturing and creative environment early on doesn't make you in a way um, over it, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, I think I look, like I said, that year was, where were you? Were you already in LA in 98? No, shortly after. I, I did theater for a long time. Right. So I That's was, I, I didn't get here till 2002, three. So like there were a lot of people my age that we all started out at the same time. And I do think that what happens after, you know, is a reflection of how you were treated when you first enter this business. It's hard for me when especially young actors deserve so much better than the treatment that they receive. Even if you don't end up like pursuing for the rest of your life, this thing, I think it really shapes you fundamentally. Yeah. And I think there's just been, there just has been so much mistreatment of kid and teen and young adult performers, you know? Yeah. But I got lucky. Boy, did I get lucky. You did. And, you know, we got to talk about immediately transitioning off of this show. You have a great experience. And and very shortly, you get on, like, the biggest show of all time for kids, Dawson's yeah. Creek. How was that experience? It was different. <laughs> it's different. It was different. It was different. Okay. And I, you know, like, again, directly after Freaks and Geeks was tough. I didn't work a ton. and. I was out there like hoofing it, you know, and that pilot, se- the next pilot season was one of those years I tested and didn't get, I think like nine network TV shows. And I was like, Ugh. well, I guess this shit's over. Like, and then, and you know, and then you're looking, <laughs> I'm looking at my friends from Freaks and Geeks and it's like, Franco is James Dean Siegel's like, the lead of some fucking thing. Linda's like, it just was like, I felt like a failure. I felt like such a failure. And John Kasdan, Jake Kasdan's younger brother, who was a writer on Freaks and Geeks, he went to Dawson's Creek. And it was that transitional time for a teen show where they're going to college. And so he was like, I have the best idea. I think you need to be on Dawson's Creek. And I was like, that's a little bit like when your mom calls you and tells you, like, I think you should be on severance. And I'm like, oh, you do? Yeah, that's a great <laughs> idea, mom. Maybe I should be on severance. <laughs> like, okay. That's you know so what I mean? True. Like, it's like oh, your yes. parents like, or like your friends from back home, like, pick like the biggest show ever. And they're like, it's so, why aren't you on Hacks? I'm like, I don't. I actually don't know. I don't know why I'm not on Hacks. I'm sorry to tell you. It's just not not on Hacks. Um, but so I was like, okay, John, whatever. And sure enough, like a month later or something, I got a call and they're like, they want you to be Katie Holmes' roommate. I was like, Kasdan, you've really fucking done it. And I went and uh, went to the WB, the former WB, and I tested for it. And then I went to Wilmington, North Carolina. I love Wilmington, by the way. I shot something there. You did. Did you like it? No, but oh. 
Fine. But I was at a different point. If I went now, I would probably love it. Are you kidding? It was at a different point in my life. I had just started dating this guy that I was like really into in LA. I was 21. I like You didn't want to leave. No, I wanted to be right. with my friends. I was like, this sucks. Like I I didn't know anyone in Wilmington. <laughs> the cast, like I got to the show and like they all seemed so over it. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask, did you watch the show? No, that's the other thing. I had never seen it. And it probably was difficult to stream it at that point in time. Yeah, no, it was, you couldn't. It, <laughs> that was the, right, that was the, the joke. joke. I got it, Thank I got you. it. Thank Wait, you. I think somebody sent me literal VHS tapes to watch. Right. Did you watch them or no? I didn't. I didn't. No. And you know what is crazy, Brian? I haven't even watched the ones I'm in. Right. I didn't watch any of it, really. Right. Here's the thing. Michelle and I became very, very good friends on that show. That's where we fell in love with each other. But the cast was like on that show, they were definitely, they had been through the whole roller coaster ride of being on the cover of Rolling Stone and, you know, getting huge paid paydays for giant movies and then coming back to their 23 episode seasons. Right. And being like, exhausted they were exhausted i think and right. i come in like all full of like so fucking happy to be here <laughs> let's go wilmington <laughs> and everybody was like all right we're gonna need you to slow it down a little bit you know <laughs> and then i was like these guys suck but they didn't they were just right. i get it now you know i don't know i have that thing like i wish i had spent less time sad i wasn't with my boyfriend you know like i wish right. i had enjoyed the experience more a little bit but whatever yeah bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. 
Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stylistically, do you consider yourself a comedian? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if I consider myself anything at this point, Brian. <laughs> Okay. All right. It's, it's, I, I feel like I get the reason I ask is I, I feel like I get people refer to me as that sometimes. And That's I don't ever. You're a man. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Really? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I think there is something about that. That men get referred funny men. I mean, yeah. with all humility, I say funny men get referred to as a comedian. Yeah. Is that a compliment? I think so. Is it? It makes it like a job. Like it's like you're like you're good. At, you know, it's like your profession. You're good at it. You're a comedian. Interesting. Okay. All right. You just taught me something. I don't know. I, I mean, always kind of take offense. Really? Well, like I'm like, well, but I'm an actor and I can be funny, but I can also be not. So you're going to well, win an Oscar. Remember? We told you uh, that. No, I know. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the call. Listen, we're going to do it's I. I'm going to slow burn you. I think we go, I think how it happens is it's an independent spirit award into an Oscar nom. All right. I like it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to no. argue. No, it's, of course it's, you're it's not. Your, it's your, it's your trajectory. <laughs> um, 
After Dawson's Creek, you do a bunch of movies, mostly comedies, which was where mm-hmm. that beautiful transition that went nowhere I like became. the transition. White, white Chicks. Yeah. Very funny. Maid of Honor. He's just not that into you. And many, many more. Uh, film versus television. Hmm. I prefer TV. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, Why? I prefer TV. Because I mean, from a from an acting standpoint in character development, like the payoffs are better and you're able to have bigger arcs. I mean, your chilly moment doesn't land in the movie version. Right. You know? That's like, right. If you're living with characters for an extended period of time, I mean, hours and hours, even if a show is only one season, it's still hours and hours and hours that you're spending with these people you're able to just pull out different sides of the humanity. And so I find I don't feel stuck playing types because I really feel like I get to dig into the people. And then in films, you are sort of relegated to like what it is. This is who you you are. Yeah. You're like the funny best friend who like says three funny things in every scene and is like, then gives her the idea to do the thing and that's it. You know, (laughs) like it's just, it's not as an actor for me, not as fulfilling. I do love TV. Yeah. I do too. Isn't that interesting? I got kind of like bummed when the movie stars realized that TV was where I was at. I got a little bit like, it was about the same time when I, when I decided and like, publicly declared that I quit acting, (laughs) 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 which was of course bullshit. But I just was like, I mean, I can't, if fucking uh, now I'm up against Reese Witherspoon, Kate (laughs) Hudson. It was like, honestly, it was like, there were a couple shows in our like pilots where I was like super interested in the pilot. This was right around when Cougar Town was ending. And they're like, well, they're going to offer it to Kate Hudson. And and I was like, okay, well, that's now we're out. I'm fucking out. I can't do this game. Because I, <laughs> you know, I can't compete on that level. Yeah. But listen, good news is there's lots of TV to go around. There's a lot of TV to go around. Uh, Cougar Town, Critics' Choice Television Award winner. I won an award. Busy film. I know you did. I know That's it's crazy. I just, I'm just, I know, but I'm like still shocked by it. How, how was your experience on Cougar Town? Did you have a good time? Great. You loved it. Fucking great. You loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It was the perfect job at the perfect moment in my life. I had had my first kid. I really wanted to do something where I was going to be funny, but where I wasn't carrying anything because I had an infant. <laughs> right. Right. And I was a new mom and like 29 and felt literally insane, but I needed money and I wanted to work. And that was the thing too. Like, I think there was a part of me that fought into that weird narrative that I think people have kind of stopped with, which was like, I had heard a lot from people. Like once I became a mother, like it all just fell away. I didn't care about I went on my first audition one week after giving birth. (laughs) I was like immediately wanted what I wanted before. I was like, where are my jobs? (laughs) That's so funny. 
I have never, I have never told this story, but you just brought it up and it's the perfect transition. I, now I didn't give birth and let me say, I understand it's not the same. Okay. Sleeping on a cot at Cedar Sinai, however, is no joke for a large man. Okay. Let's just be very clear about that. I am not comparing the two experiences. I'm simply (laughs) saying that laying on a cot, sleep, attempting to sleep on a cot. And I left the hospital and I think I had an animated show recording at 930 in the morning that next day. So, yes, I get what you're saying. I get what you're I saying. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It, oh, Mark, when. my kid's dad, Mark left me at the hospital to go have a meeting with Vince Vaughn about some movie that he and Abby were writing for him. Like had no choice. Was like, you guys good? You got it? I'm gonna, I'll be back in like an hour and a half. Okay, sure, sure. No, 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 do your thing, do your thing, dude. Um, But so Cougar Town came around just in a perfect moment and it was the perfect show for me and I- And you crushed it. And you crushed it. Yeah, and I can't say enough nice things about Courtney Cox and- also Bill Lawrence and Krista Miller and Josh Hopkins and um, Ian Gomez and Dan Bird. I mean, like Brian Van Holt, like everyone was incredible. And we really had such an amazing time, but especially Courtney Cox is just the greatest, exactly what you want as the star of a show. Cause you know, we've all experienced other things Yes, and she doesn't have to be as magnanimous and generous and lovely and hardworking and nonstop as she is. She could just go live on her friend's money. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, truly, <laughs> you know, she could just, I thought you were going to say Island or something you know, slightly more subtle. <laughs> so, yeah. Slightly, no. <laughs> but you were like, no, live on her friend's money. No, the friend's money. No, no but I'm just, you know, but she could be any version of anything. And, sure. but she's, literally the great she was the greatest boss the best sort of mentor in terms of what that kind of leadership should look like and I learned a lot just by like watching her and how she treated everyone around her with such respect all the time that's awesome that's yeah. so, uh, that's so great to hear actually I don't know her I've met her, but I don't know her at all. So that's really she also like doesn't hear. she doesn't pull any punches like if it's you know if there's an issue like she is like, we need to discuss this and figure out how to solve it. Like she's very much. She's a boss. She's a boss. She's She's a a great boss. She's a great boss. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, we could talk forever about all of your projects. I do want to get to busy tonight. Oh yeah. What was your idea behind that? Wanting to adjust your career path a bit. And well, it was a huge change for you. What, What was the impetus for that? Well, a bit it was burnout with the industry part of the industry. And, you know, I had done this pilot for Tina Fey. And it was so great. It was like me and Casey Wilson and Bradley Whitford played our dad. And Luke Del Tradici was the writer and was going to show run it. And Tina and Robert Carlock were producing it. And the show was so funny. And I was like, this is it. Like, I, this is it. Like, I'm so happy that I got the thing. Finally, like, this is my thing. Like, I'm so grateful for this. 
And then it didn't get picked up in the most like unceremonious, weird fizzle of like, they never, it wasn't like one of those things where they were like, it's not getting picked up. It's just, they just kept holding on to it. <laughs> like, it was so weird and heartbreaking, you know? And I was so heartbroken. And I have been so heartbroken, Brian, for so many years over so many different projects. And I just was like, why am I doing this to myself? This is like torture. And around that time or a little bit earlier, I had started doing Instagram stories. Yeah. And that had become this whole thing. Like people were like all of a sudden taking all this interest in me. And there were articles, the New Yorker wanted to write an article about me. And, you know, there was all of this attention on that. And Eric Gurian, who produces with Tina Fey, called me and asked if I wanted to have lunch when they were like the Emmys weekend after that pilot didn't get picked up. So a couple months later, and he was like, we want to do something with you. Like, what do you want to do? What kind of show do you want to do? Like, we want to figure something out. And I was like, Eric, I'm not doing it. I can't be an actor anymore. It's too much heartbreak. And he's like, well, you're obviously entertaining and you're super watchable. How many people watch your stories every day? And I was like, at the time, I mean, this is fucking crazy. At the time, it was like 250,000 people a day were watching my fucking stories, which is nuts. Now it's like, I want to say it's like 65 or something like that, you know? Right. So, but like no one was doing them. And I just, I, whatever, I got in on it. You pioneered it. Yes. I pioneered it. I pioneered the way that everybody does it. I know. It's so exciting that I did that. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And I'm sorry. Yeah. But thank I was you. like, I don't know, but I'll let you know. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the fuck is going to happen, but I'll let you know. And then I went to my manager at the time's birthday party that was at the Merv Griffin estate in Palm Springs. And I got stoned and was like sitting out looking up at the stars. Like, and I turned to Mark and I was like, I have to have a late night talk show. That's what it is. I have to have a late night talk show. And he's like, uh, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's like the perfect confluence of things. I love talking. I love having conversations with people about things. I have so many friends. There aren't enough women that have these shows. Like, this is just stupid. And it's, you know, so from that perspective, from a feminist perspective, I was like, let's even the playing field. Since Chelsea left, like, no one has a nightly show. Right. So I called Gurian, and I told him that's what I wanted to do. And he's like, well, I don't I don't know if Tina and I are going to be, I don't know if we're the fit for that. We've never done that. I don't know if that's what we want to do right now. And I was like, okay, we'll just bring it up to her. Let her know. He's like, okay. Then I went and took a meeting at my agents at the time, and they brought in, like, the bros that do the talk show part of the agency. I don't even know what that's called. Yeah, hosting. And okay, hosting. Yeah. Hosting, probably. Yeah. And they were very, I don't know, non-committal, I would say. <laughs> like they were like disinterested. They were disinterested. Yeah. They were <laughs> okay. like like they, they were like, I I mean, we could try to set you up with like maybe like a seasoned showrunner that does this, and then we could like come up with a concept and then we could go pitch it. I don't I don't know. And I was like, you guys really are not listening to me. I'm going to do a late night talk show because the ghost of Merv Griffin told me when I was stoned that that's what I'm doing. And they were like, okay. 
And no joke, four days later, the phone rang and it was Eric Gurian. And he's like, well, I've got some news. And I was like, what? And he's like, uh, I think Tina and Dave Miner just sold your late night talk show to E over the phone. Amazing. And literally, like, that's how it fucking happened. Like that. Tina had some, because her general, you know, her overall deal is at Universal. And she had some call with E. And they said, well, we really want to get back into like a late night talk show space. And Tina was like, well, have I got the show for you? Wow. And that was it, man. Within, I would say like a month and a half, like the deal was done. And then within four months, we started like developing it. And then we were greenlit in August, I think. And then it premiered in October, like almost exactly one year after the Merv Griffin thing. Wow. It's crazy. I know. Good experience? Oh, I loved doing the show. Yeah. We had the best time. It was fantastic. We had a real Casey St. Ange and I, who we do our podcast together. And yep. she was my showrunner for the show. And, you know, we really had a vision for what we wanted it to be. And we wanted it to be different and for different a different audience than what other late night shows have been. I didn't want to like parrot anyone else's right. style. And I wanted to make it for, I literally wanted to make a show for me. <laughs> like something <laughs> I would enjoy watching, you know? Right, right. And I felt really strongly about doing it multiple nights a week because I think that it was like a little bit of a challenge and a trial by fire. And, but I think we got the show up and going really so much faster than we would have if we were doing it like once a week, you know? Right. Um, and I was, and I'm really proud of it. I really am proud of it. I love, like loved it. And I loved our guests and everybody who came on the show would leave and say something incredible. Like, honestly, this is the best experience I've had on a talk show ever, you know, like it was just super fun. And we were really sad. I was really, again, really sad, really heartbroken when it was over. Because I thought that by taking control of it and being creatively in control and an executive producer, and like I was very involved with every aspect of it, for some reason, I thought I would be better prepared for like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was not. No. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy for you that you had the experience. Me too. And, um, yeah. And maybe again, or is that done? I mean, sure. I didn't, I, I'm at this point now where I'm like, I'll do it. I don't know. Whatever. What may I'll do anything. Who knows? Again, Wait. like you said, I, am I a comedian? Like, I don't know what I am, dude. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. You're <laughs> well, you're, I don't know if you're a comedian or not. Like I said, I don't even, I struggle with like those types of labels, but do you do I mean, stand-up? No. So that's the thing. See, See to, to me, comedian means stand-up. I agree. Yeah. Well, now you're changing your story. Jesus. Okay, fine. I am changing my story. Yes. See? No, I know you are. <laughs> that's what I just, I just called you out on it. Yeah. I'm uh, changing it. Busy. God bless it. I uh, so enjoy talking to you. You really make me laugh. So Thank comedian you. or not, that's, that's. That's really all I'm looking for. Good luck figuring Thank out what you, you want to do next. 
I know it will be incredible. And I appreciate so much you coming to talk to me. I'm so happy to. I love talking to you. I love seeing you. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Busy. That was incredible. Yeah, I'm still laughing. Thank you for stopping by. To those of you out there listening, it has been a pleasure hanging with you this beautiful Tuesday or whatever day it is that you're listening. I'm going to be back next week on Tuesday, same time, same place, with another amazing guest, a guest who, by the way, stars in one of my recent favorite television shows. Can you guess what it is? I'll give you a hint. He is a bad, bad man. We'll see you next week. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton. Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.